Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. We're getting into some good stuff here. So uh, I want to kind of keep the ball rolling. Uh, up here is the same, kind of the same diagram, you know, that, that I had up last week. I do, I'm not going to really kind of get there tonight, probably. But uh, I do want to introduce one new little thought to you. If you take a look at the bottom of your outline for tonight, um, out of Daniel chapter 12, you know, everything up to this point that we've talked about has been, you know, the 70th week, which is seven years which is divided in two halves, which is three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days. I just want to give you a new wrinkle tonight because we've come far enough to throw this in. Uh, in Daniel chapter 12, which is uh, pretty much the very end of, of Daniel's uh, book and prophecy, at the bottom of your sheet there, you know, it says one of them, that was an angel, said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. So that's the three and a half years. Time, one, times is two, 
and half a time is half a year. It's just biblical language, you know, prophetic language that just, again, another way of saying three and a half years. But skip on down and uh, to verse 11. It says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So Daniel, of course, will be resurrected as all believers are. But what I want you to see there, and this is what's so incredible about the accuracy of the Bible, is we're introduced to two new numbers here, 1,290 days and 1,335 days, which is... 30 days longer and then an additional 45 days longer than the end of three and a half years. Now, I'm not going to actually get to teaching on what that's all about tonight, but I just want you to see it because as we get to the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about that a little bit because uh, the, this is the transition time from everything that God did, which he blew away a lot of stuff <laughs> with the trumpets and the bowls. There's a whole lot of stuff that gets blown away you know, and a whole lot of people that die and other things like that. So uh, these, this 30 days and this 45 days is going to be transitioning into the millennium. But the thing I really want you to see about it uh, is it's so cool that the Bible speaks to it specifically. 1,290 days, 1,335 days. I mean, the Bible is so specific and so accurate when it talks about prophetic things. And so just like the 483 years from the time the command went forth to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, that Christ came exactly at that time. It was fulfilled literally exactly. So we have no reason to doubt that all of this is going to be fulfilled literally and exactly as it's prophesied. So to me, and this stuff is written thousands of years ago. So it's just so awesomely incredible of a testimony to the inspiration of the Word of God. So I just wanted you to see that. We're not going to actually get to that tonight, but I just that's a little new wrinkle that I wanted to throw up there for you to uh, uh, be, you can be plugging into your thinking. All right, we are in chapter 13. We just finished chapter 12, which was kind of a very large prophetic vision overall of Israel and, and, and Satan and, and just kind of a, a prophetic picture there. And now we're jumping into chapter 13, which is a very detailed uh, chapter description of the rule of Antichrist and the false prophet, which really begins in earnest right here. He makes his covenant here, but in the middle of Daniel's 70th week is when really chapter 13 um, is taking place. And uh, so, as I said, Revelation moves along chronologically, but then it stops every once in a while to give you little prophetic insights or more detailed pictures, all right? So, um, hallelujah. Let's jump into it. Let's pray. (laughs) It's rough out there. (laughs) All you brave souls that made it pressed in through the rain and got here. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, anoint 
our time together. Father, we know that, that um, these are awesome days. We're getting closer and closer to your return. Lord, we want to be all we can be. We want to uh, be used by you, Lord, to make a difference in our world. We know that uh, the destiny, the eternal destiny, Lord, of many people's souls are at stake. And uh, we also, Lord, want to uh, be all uh, that we can be for you, Lord. We know that this life is short compared to eternity, and we want to make the biggest impact we can. So, Father, just bless our time together, and, and uh, we thank you that you gave us a promise for revelation. You said, blessed is he that reads. And so we're learning, Lord, as we read, and we're growing into what you have for us. So we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into chapter 13. It says, then I stood on the sand. Of course, this is John seeing this whole vision and all that. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion." The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Or that is, of course, three and a half years again, which is the last half here of Daniel's um, 70th week. The reason we know it's talking about the last half is because it's going to talk about the mark, and obviously that does not happen in the first half because he's kind of incognito. Verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world." If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So, in other words, the Lord is saying those previous eight verses are important for you to know. Verse 10, he, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's a, that's a good phrase to underline right there, or actually a better word for patience. I think the NIV does translate it perseverance. Pastor Terry, I think, preached on that last Sunday. So here is the patience or the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So that's two key things we're going to need in the end times here is we're going to need perseverance and we're going to need faith. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast." 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. All right, so let's just kind of, this really, as I said, is a chapter that details, um, you know, some things about the reign of Antichrist and the false prophet. And there's quite a few things in here that we can learn. Let's just pick up a few. Going back there to verse 1. Uh, he said he saw the beast rising up out of the sea. The sea is a picture of the mass of humanity and uh, is usually used of Gentiles. So Antichrist will, will not be a Jew. He will be a Gentile, probably of Aryan descent, Roman, Caesar type, you know, nations there in Europe. And uh, so he's rising up out of the sea. Now, having seven heads and ten horns... And on his ten horns, uh, on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. The whole, this goes without saying, you know, that he's entirely blasphemous. He's, he's not in any way for God, with God. You know, um, he's totally against God. But at the same time, the word Antichrist means, it means against Christ, but it also means in place of Christ. So, uh, he may look like or talk like, in a sense, that he's for God or some kind of God, but really what he's going to mean is himself. You know, so there'll be elements of deception involved. But uh, he, he, you know, he will be very, and then further down, he just comes right out and blasphemes the God of heaven. And at that point, though, there will be many people that won't care. They'll already be you know, deceived by him and following him. But anyway, the whole idea of seven heads and ten horns, um, it seems as the chapter opens, it's describing the beast kind of as the kingdom of Antichrist. So we have to understand that Antichrist not only is just one man, but it really represents a kingdom. It represents a false, um, uh, it represents a satanic expression of rule in mankind that is contrary to the kingdom of God. And, of course, all its values are cruel, you know, destructive, um, dictatorial, you know, um, a culture of death, not a culture of life. Not a whole lot different than Allah and Islam, which very well, uh, I'm not going to take a lot of time to discuss that right now at the moment, but there could very well be a tie-in between Islam because they very much, obviously it's a, uh, Allah is a strong principality type demon and they hate Jews, they hate Christians. Uh, but, you know, the whole idea of Daniel's statue with the ten, t- ten toes, with the iron and the clay, the iron could be some of the old Roman Empire organization and, and, uh, and dictatorialness and, and the ability to make things happen. One of the things about the Islamic governments is, is they're just not very good at, at making things happen well. You know, they're usually 
they're, they're violent, they're dictatorial, but they're not real, um, well, how would I say it, astute, you know, because they live by this demonic thing. So the clay could have something to do with Islam. The iron has something to do with Rome. So there could be some things coming together. Um, it's just really, you know, kind of hard to say at this point. But it's got, you know, seven heads, ten horns. It seems to be talking about a kingdom, not just a person here. And uh, the ten horns could be uh, uh, ten um, rulers of some kind. The fact that there's seven heads, those could, in Revelation 17, which we'll get to later, the, uh, the heads represent the hills of a, of a certain city, which I'll have more to say about that later. Um, but then they also represent kings. So um, it's a little hard to tell exactly what these are. And I don't want to dwell too long on it because we could just speculate forever, you know, as to what exactly they'll be. But it, there does, obviously, there's, there, it's a coalition here of power. And, and uh, the seven heads could be like uh, representing certain countries, the horns representing leaders. So there could be more than one leader from each country. It's just, it's a little hard to say exactly what, what may end up there. And, and it's just like, um, I was talking to Gary, you know, like some years ago back when, when, when did, um, late great planet earth first come out? It was probably like sixties or seventies, seventies, I guess, you know? So, I mean, it was the latest, greatest thing going when it came out and, and, it, and God used it to kind of stir the church up, but it's kind of like revelation now is kind of, you know, there's more revelation coming forth now. And so the church can even know more about the end times. I think what will happen is as we get closer and closer, some of these more detailed things will get clearer. You know, but exactly the, the beast obviously represents here, um, you know, more than one nation, more than one king, um, king more than one ruler. And, uh, but as it moves on now, verse 2, it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So leopard represents speed. Some thing, things are going to be moving very fast in the end times as we get close to things happening. Things will be moving very quickly. Uh, the feet of a bear, I believe, represents strength and power. It'll be a very demonically powerful uh, kingdom and uh, evil power, of course. And then his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So it's going to be lion's roar. So it's going to be loud. He'll have a lot to say, and people will pay attention. You know, not that they should, but they will, you know. So those, I believe, represent aspects of this kingdom, you know, fast, strong, and loud. And uh, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And don't forget, this is all happening as Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel. And this is where Satan, um, uh, I'm sorry, right here, Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel. And this is where Satan, from chapter 12, was cast out of heaven in his war with Michael. So he's now down here on earth and he's giving his power and he's giving his authority um, there to Antichrist. And verse 3, it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So there's going to be some supernatural healing involved, not godly healing, but demonic healing. How many of you know there are miracles that can happen through the power of Satan? Are you aware of that? You need to be aware of that because it, th there are miracles, but there's always a price tag. <laughs> That's, you know, there are psychic healers that literally can heal people. But some of those same people have ended up institutionalized from demon oppression. There's a price tag always when the devil, the devil never gives anything for free. Only God <laughs> does that. 
All right? The devil will treat you like an orange, you know. He'll squeeze all the juice out of you, and then when he's done with you, he'll throw you away. And so, you know, but somehow this, this and now, you know, it's, it's now starting to talk about one of his heads, which I think it's switching gears here more to the person. So this deadly wound that was healed, we don't know exactly what that'll be, but it'll be significant enough that it will cause the whole world to marvel about it. As we get a couple more chapters down, we'll see, I believe it's in chapter 17, it could actually be um, almost like a resurrection, almost like a false resurrection, a false coming to life of this man and um, through the power of the devil that will, that will actually uh, impress people a lot. Christians will be able to see through it, but others won't get it. All right, verse 4, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So look, they're not really worshiping the guy, they're worshiping the devil. That's what it amounts to because it's the devil that's working through him and so, and it's, you might want to circle the word worship. It's always about worship. That's what the, the, the devil wants people to worship him. He has an ego problem. He has a pride problem. He has a jealousy problem. It goes all the way back to when he rebelled against God. I, th- I believe personally that he got jealous over what God wanted to do with you and me. You know, and instead of believing that God had a good plan for his life, he took matters into his own hands got bitter, got jealous. And of course, in Isaiah 14, it's the famous five I wills. I will be like the most high. I will, you know. So he's trying to be in the place of God, which is stupid, (laughs) futile, (laughs) you know, ultimately won't work. But um, nevertheless, that's what it's all about for him is worship. You here's, here's a good way to say it. Your life will produce whatever you worship. If you worship God, you'll produce the blessings of God. If you worship the devil, you'll end up with the destruction of the devil. If you worship things, you'll just end up unfulfilled. You know? So worship, is, that's why the first purpose in purpose-driven life is worship. That's why the first thing you should concentrate on in your life is worship. Worship God. Make, make, make the worship of God the number one priority in your life, and then everything else will start working out. Okay? So that's why the first purpose of God is worship. And, and God doesn't need our worship because he's an egotist. It's just because he's good, <laughs> you know? And so what, if you think about it, what should we worship? We should worship what's good. And God is good because he's our creator. So he's worthy of our worship. But that's what it's always about, you know, is um, who is worthy of glory and honor. It's worship. And so they worship the dragon and uh, gave authority to the beast. They worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So we learn there he's very militarily powerful. There's a military aspect going to come forth of the kingdom of Antichrist, and um, it's going to relate to his power all the way back here to make a covenant with Israel to protect Israel. And they're going to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but they're not looking at it you know, with spiritual eyes. All right, verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Notice he was given authority. You can't, you know, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big bad dog, but how many of you know he's on God's chain? <laughs> you know, he can't do anything that the Lord doesn't let him do. But the Lord has his purposes in letting all this happen. And uh, he was given a mouth speaking great things. Words are powerful. That's why communication and learning to communicate is very important, you know. And uh, it's why it's important to learn to communicate the gospel. But, but what, what was it that, let's go back to Hitler, who was a pretty famous Antichrist-type uh, forerunner. 
I mean, you know, people were mesmerized by his speeches in Germany. He mesmerized people with a demonic anointing. Antichrist is going to be exactly the same. He's going to be given a mouth. People are going to be literally mesmerized by what he has to say. He's going to be like a worldwide Hitler, you know. And uh, so uh, words are powerful. And um, I'm actually going to be talking about this Sunday, the, the good fight of faith. And uh, we'll see that, that, you know, the Word of God in our mouth can have tremendous power in our own lives and also power against the enemy. And so, you know, God created the world with His words. So words are powerful. They're, they're spirit, you know. And uh, we always think so much of just human energy. We have to start thinking more of spiritual energy, not just human energy. But anyway, so he's got this mouth that's obviously a demonic anointing, and that's one of the things he's going to use. And then in verse 6, he said he opened, here's, it's just open, you know, he opened his mouth to blaspheme, in blasphemy against God, blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. So he'll be, at this point in time, he's blaspheming Christians, Jews, and he'll be using all kinds of, of demonic logic to try to get people on the earth to turn against the God of heaven, turn against Christians and against Jews, you know, and to make it look like it is not the right way. And, of course, he will be deceptive. All right, verse 7. Now, here's where this comes back to, of course, my whole teaching on, you know, the rapture. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So for a time here... He was given authority, you know, and it was granted to him. Notice it was granted, not something he was able to do just in his own, but it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And so that's the whole picture there of his persecution. And it's the picture of that there will be um, some martyrdom happening during that time. But I think it would be totally ridiculous to include this verse in the Bible, you know, if, uh, if, there was, if we weren't here. You know, and of course, those that, that teach a rapture pre-70th week, which I can't find any scriptures that really teach that, you know, and it's kind of something, it's like I've been saying all along here, I think God is just giving us clearer revelation, you know, then, then that would have to apply only to those that had gotten saved during that time or just to the Jews. But you just don't see that, you know, you just don't see that anywhere. Um, but you do see, you know, like I said before, uh, the uh, sixth seal happens right here and that is after the time where antichrist is already reigning so it's just another it's just another statement you know why would jesus say in matthew 24 he that endures to the end will be saved or delivered you know this is just another scripture that shows that you and i will be here during this time now watch this an authority was given him over every tribe everybody say every every tribe Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So he said, pay attention. And I think maybe that verse has a special reference to the previous two verses. And he's saying, pay attention. This guy is going to affect the whole world. The whole world. Just because we're in America doesn't mean we're not going to be affected by it. And we'll talk about maybe how in just a minute. So um, he will impact every tribe, tongue, and nation. And uh, verse 10 now tells us something else. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is 
the patience and faith of the saints or the perseverance and faith of the saints. So God is saying, don't pull out your deer rifle and just start shooting all these dudes. <laughs> He's saying, don't do that. That's not the way you're going to handle this, all right? Because he says, if you kill by the sword, you're going to end up killed by the sword. He said, don't handle it that way. That's not the answer, all right? So we may be tempted to do that during this time. Man, I'm just going to stockpile all my guns. Man, I'm going to put my, my gun rack in my bedroom and I'm going to blow them all away, <laughs> you know? And um, now, let me, having said that, let me build one little fence here. I'm not, also, I'm not saying it's wrong to defend your home. I'm not saying that. I think this is talking about more of an attitude of trying to solve this problem by going to war against Antichrist. The Lord is saying, okay, don't do that. Don't form any, let's not form any militias, okay? Let's not, let's not get into guerrilla warfare, you know. I believe self-defense is fine. I don't have any problem with that. I don't think God does either, you know. But he's saying the basic strategy here against the kingdom of Antichrist is not going to be that we just go try to kill them all. It says here is the patience and the faith of, of the saints. In fact, if anything, during that time, as I said before, there will be some people who are still undecided. You know, so we need to reach out to them, help them get saved. And we need to be able to stand strong enough and, and say, you know, hey, I, I, don't, I don't have to play by your game. You know, I serve a God who's an awesome God. He loves me, and I'm not going to bow down to you no matter what. You know, like the, the three Hebrew children, you know. And uh, they said, well, you know, uh, whether we perish or not, you know, we're not going to bow down to you, O king. You know, and so they didn't try to blow the king away. You know, they didn't set an IUD in his throne room, <laughs> you know, but they just, they testified. They testified for the Lord of heaven. And that's what God is going to want us to do too. All right, now let's talk about how some of this may happen here. Verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This is what we often call the false prophet. There's no specific terminology that exactly uses those words in the Bible, but he is supportive of Antichrist and he seems to be his sidekick. And it says down here a few more verses that he, that he causes everybody to worship the beast and to take his mark. So it's kind of like he's his, um, uh, you know, one who's uh, encouraging worship of the beast. But I want you to notice something in this verse. He has two um, horns like a lamb. I believe that there's no question that the false prophet and actually um, Antichrist, even though he's blaspheming the God of heaven, you know, once he gets down to verse uh, 6, but the false prophet has two horns like a lamb. I have no doubt that he will, that what the false prophet does in trying to get people to worship the beast, he's going to, in a twisted way, try to tie that into Christianity. He's going to be like a false Christian false church you know two horns like a lamb he's going to try to look like a lamb but he's going to speak like a dragon so he'll look like a lamb but if you test the spirits as the bible says he speaketh like a dragon you know and so um goes back a little bit to revelation 12 11 there we talked about last week they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, that's back to words again, and they love not their lives unto death. But the blood of the Lamb was the first thing. And you'll always find any false religion, any false cult will, will not talk about sinfulness. It won't talk about repentance. They won't talk about the power of the blood. You know? In fact, even some parts of Christianity today, 
you know, they're starting to accept homosexuality and all kinds of things like that. And what is it? It's getting away from the blood. It's getting away from the, the essence of sin. It's getting away from the need for repentance, see? So it slips away from that and gets into false religion. But still, the, human, the age-old human problem is still sin, and the age-old solution is still the power of the blood. <laughs> Just fall on your face and asking God for forgiveness and asking God to change you by his power, and he'll do it. All right, so, so the false prophet, I think there will be an aspect here where, he, where it will it'll look like Christianity, or he'll try to actually convince people that um, it has an aspect of Christianity to it. And so we'll talk more about that when we get to chapters 17 and 18. All right, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast and, uh, and causes the earth and those who don't to worship the first beast. Again, it's all about worship, you know. And if you circle the number of times worship comes up in these chapters we're studying, it's in there a lot. He does miracles. He performs great signs so that even fire comes down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Now, you might want to write in your margin there, Revelation 11.5. Remember, we talked about the two witnesses who were around this time too. Okay, and they are indestructible for a while. You know, if anybody tries to kill them, it says they fire, you know, comes down from heaven. So, so, so God is protecting them until the, until the time that he allows them to be martyred. And so this should be really interesting because, you know, you remember, you remember when Moses and the, and the magicians of Egypt had a little conflict? <laughs> I think we have a little repeat performance here, <laughs> you know? So we have the two witnesses that are speaking out for the Lord, and they've got power from God. And then you've got this dude who has power from the devil, and, and he even makes fire come down from heaven. It's, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about it, but I'm just kind of wondering if there's ever going to be a time where the two are going to meet. You know, where the two witnesses and the false prophet are in the same place and we have a little fire contest, you know. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you know, I mean, I think God's providing us with just a little bit of entertainment during this persecution time. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, CNN Live is carrying. Of course, you know what will happen as soon as, the, as soon as the two witnesses start out doing the false prophet, there'll be blackout time, you know. Whoops, got to change the different scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens. But I believe it's very similar to the time where you have Moses and the, uh, and the, uh, and the magicians. And, you know, the magicians kept up with him to a certain point, and they couldn't keep up. And that's because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, right? All right. And so he deceives those who dwell on the earth. And um, now here's where it gets interesting. It says, telling those, middle of verse 14, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now watch this, verse 15. He was granted power to give breath. Circle that word, breath, which literally is the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit. Okay? To give spirit or breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should both speak and cause... Now watch this. The image should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, this is really interesting. A lot of people see this, and, and I'm not saying I have the absolute answer, okay? But a lot of people see this as uh, some one large image being made over there in Europe. And this image will talk and all that. I'm not saying that's not possible. That in Caesar's day, in the days of Rome, they had busts of Caesar. They had large images of Caesar. But uh, actually, in the Greek, this word here for image can be a collective plural. 
like the word crowd. It's singular, but it means multiple. Well, this word image in the Greek can mean a collective plural. So what this could easily mean here is, uh, okay, let's watch this woman. All right, he telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. Those who dwell on the earth, not just a few, but those who dwell on the earth. So it's very possible that what he could be encouraging here is images. And one of the, one of the meanings of this Greek word also is where we get our word icon. Any of you are familiar with that word? It has some roots in certain places, you know. But uh, so he could literally be telling people here to make an image in your home. Let me give you a little word here. You might want to get rid of your St. Joseph statues. No, I mean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Bible's clear. We're not to make any graven image. We're not to worship any image. And, you know, that's not where our power is as Christians. Our power comes in our relationship with Jesus Christ not in an idol, okay? And um, while I'm at it, I might as well just blast away. So I'll give you a little, I mean, I'll just say one other thing. Um, There's a move on today, and if you, you know, watch the papers and different things, you'll see it. But, you know, today, like, for instance, in the Catholic Eucharist, they believe that when when the priest prays over that, and and there's a lot of, uh, don't get me wrong here, I'm not just trying to, down the Catholic Church, I'm just saying that we have to be careful of these kind of things because some people could end up being um, unwitting victims of the power of the devil. But they actually believe that the presence of Christ comes in that host to the point where sometimes they actually put that prayed over host, they call it the Eucharistic Christ, they put that in a um, uh, golden case. And then what they do is they put that in chapels and they have what they call adoration services and people literally, you know, worship that host because they believe it's the presence of Christ. And what's happening now, if you, and, and you know, it's been reported different places, is people are having visions of Jesus while they're worshiping that host. Well, the only thing I can say is, you know, you just have to be really careful with that because Jesus is not in any wafer or any host. And when you start worshiping, remember, let's go back to what I said. You experience what you worship. So if you worship something that is not really Christ, you are opening your life up for a spirit that's not really Christ. (laughs) So um, I think there's potential for some, you know, bad things happening there. But anyway, if this is true, all right, and of course, we're, we're in a very supernatural, demonic thing here. He not only tells them to make an image to the beast. But watch this. He was granted power to give spirit or breath to the image of the beast. And again, it's a collective plural, which could mean literally idols. So you wonder, how could Antichrist possibly rule over the entire earth from Europe? Well, I don't believe it's necessary him personally that's going to be able to rule, but it's his demons that literally... It says here, the false prophet will be given power to give breath to the image. Well, if people start putting icons in their houses to Antichrist, making images to the beast, and those images are, listen, now this is, this is I know it's kind of wild, but I'm telling you, the, the, we're dealing with some supernatural power here, you know, and he's given power to actually cause those images to speak and to have spirit, you know, And it says then they're given power to kill those that don't worship Antichrist. So um, 
Now, here's the thing. I don't believe that those demons can necessarily jump out of those idols and go kill people. But if other people are worshiping Antichrist and those idols speak, there's a good chance that those people will easily serve Antichrist. And if that image starts speaking, say, hey, that, that person right there, you know, they're, they're, they're a Christian or they're a Jew and you need to get rid of them, you know. Well, when you have a totally cruel and wicked world, I mean, they're willing to kill embryos right now for stem cells. It won't be long before they're willing to kill Christians to obey Antichrist. When you have a culture of death, it's just one step further, one step further, you know. And so, um, you know, those idols, and here's the thing, a demon has to have something to inhabit. Remember when Jesus had the the guys that were legion and he was going to cast the demons out and they said, hey, let us go into those pigs. For them to really do anything, they have to have something to inhabit. Well, Guess what they've got to inhabit here? This is the first time that I know of ever in the Bible that this has ever happened. But apparently, under the reign of Antichrist, somehow there is power to make this happen. That the, I mean, it says it right there, that the, uninhabit, I mean, that the, that the inanimate image is going to be given breath and the power to speak. Woo, man, I tell you what, it's like you thought Sci-Fi Channel was wild. Man, I tell you what, just read the Bible. <laughs> and so the thing is, you wonder how Antichrist can have control or rule over the whole world. Well, if all these people are putting images in their houses, you know, and they have the ability to speak and they're demonic, then it's going to be, you can learn something really wise here. Then during that time, you know, you're going to want to stay away from any place there are those images because they will tell on you. <laughs> they will know who you are. It's like the demons that spoke out of those, those guys, you know, that, that, that remember the seven sons of Sceva that were trying to cast them demons out? And they go, well, Paul, we know. And Jesus, we know. But who are you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Paul, we know. See, th- those demons will know you. They'll know you're a Christian. They'll just know it. See, so, you know, and again, it's, the whole, it's going back to the whole thing here is God is going to watch those that really are walking with the Lord. God's going to watch over you and give you wisdom. And one of two things will happen. Either you're going to be used during that time to touch people and minister to people, or, you know, you'll, you'll be used to do that and martyred too, you know. And uh, I tell you what, I think either one's great, you know, because, I mean, I sometimes think being martyred might be easier. You just, you're done. You're, you know, okay, my job's done. Because <laughs> you won't be able to buy or sell, you know. But flip back to Revelation 3.10. Let me give you one. This is one really cool promise that I believe relates to the tribulation time. And remember, the tribulation time is going to be cut short. And the tribulation time, this is the only time it is. It's during this persecution of Antichrist up till the sixth seal when we're raptured. And, uh, but I believe we're going to demonstrate the power and glory of God. I don't, as I said before, I don't believe God runs from a fight. It's a spiritual fight, though. It's not a natural fight. Revelation 3.10, though, says this. This was the only church that Jesus didn't correct, you know. And he says this, verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere. Remember, we just read about that. I also will keep you... From the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And the idea there of keeping you means to protect within a sphere of evil influence. So I believe that 
if, you, if we just walk with the Lord, you know, he's going to give us wisdom and have us in the right place at the right time. You know, hey, I mean, if he wants us to preach someplace and we're going to be martyred, there'll be grace for that. But you know what else? If we're, there, there'll be some of you or some of us, depending on if we're here at that time, who God will keep alive that whole time and you'll make it all the way to the rapture. And the Lord will use you to reach other people for Christ, you know. And if that's the case, this promise, because remember we said these churches in Revelation, first couple of chapters, are prophetic of the end times. And so here he gives this problem, this promise. He said, you persevere and I will keep you from the hour of testing. Actually, protect you in a realm of a sphere of influence, okay? I will, I'll, he'll, I'll protect you. And so that's a beautiful promise for this time. And, uh, but there obviously, of course, will be some martyrs too, you know, and, uh, but uh, that's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? That idols, that images will have the power to speak, you know, and, uh, and look at it, it says in the end of verse 15 and causes many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So how, how, how are they going to have power to kill? Again, I, I don't think it may be, I mean, it could come directly from the power of the demons, but I don't think it'll be quite like that. I think it'll be more because they're, they're pretty well confined, you know, to whatever they're inhabiting. But I think it's going to be that they're going to use other people to um, uh, persecute and kill Christians, that they're going to sort of tell on them, you know. And by the way, this does fit. This does fit. It. Remember how it says that the whole world is going to be worshiping Antichrist? Well, look at this. Back in chapter 9, verse 20. It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Now watch this, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. So isn't it interesting that idolatry is brought up by God in verse 20 uh, of chapter 9. And, uh, and they did not repent of their murders. Murders. So it's very possible that Antichrist will use those that have already been given over to him to try to use them to murder and kill Christians and Jews. So um, anyway, it, is that an interesting thought? Did I stretch your brains with that one? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's just a thought, as John Maxwell says, just a thought, you know. But that could very well be how Antichrist is able to in, in, in have worldwide influence is supernaturally. Because remember, Satan has been cast to earth. We're dealing here with the last stand of the devil. And so it's kind of like all stops have been pulled out. And, uh, you know, there's that demonic power. And God's allowing it because he's going to show that, that, hey, Christians are, are, um, are, are better. Christians can manifest a much better kingdom. All right. And then he causes all, both small and great, you know, uh, to receive a mark. And again, we've had a lot of people you know, wonder what that mark is all about. And um, it just says on your right hand or your forehead. I don't believe it'll be probably a microchip. I just somehow think it's going to be something. I think technology will develop in the next few years that they will literally be able to put in some kind of a, I don't know, it'd be like a tattoo or whether it would be probably something even more sophisticated than that. Uh, the literal word for mark, just so this is interesting too, is the word Karagma, where we get our word, get the, also, which is, has a root of the Greek word kerox, which means a palisade like a picket fence. A picket fence. Well, what does that look like that we used to, barcodes? Exactly, barcodes. So I believe it'll probably be some type of, you know, 
holographic, whatever, tattooish type thing. And I don't believe it's going to be something that will be able to be easily counterfeited. You know, it'll be something that, um, you know, you either have it or you don't. And so, and of course, it doesn't happen until after. Every once in a while I get people saying to me, I got 666 on my credit card. Does that mean I've just taken the mark of the beast? You know, I go, no, because it's not on your forehead and it's not on your hand. And Daniel's 70th week hasn't started yet and you're not worshiping the devil. So it's okay. <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, or so, well, I had somebody ask me, can, I, can you take the mark of the beast by accident? No, because it's going to involve worship. All right. And there will not be any accident about this time. When he breaks his covenant with Israel and you start seeing that kind of worldwide demonic power, you will know. Okay. You will know. And also it means you can't buy or sell. So don't worry about, you know, things like that. It, it, you'll, you'll definitely know that the mark is the mark. God, God, uh, you know, isn't going to play tricky or something like that. All right. So, and the whole thing of his uh, number being 666, it's kind of like a evil trinity. Seven is the number of perfection for God. Six is kind of a number of falling short. It's kind of like an evil trinity. Some people say that, that if you use numerology in letters and that, that you could, that possibly 666 could be used to actually figure out who Antichrist is. Um, it's possible, you know, I haven't done a lot of in-depth, uh, looking into that, but I know definitely there's symbolism in the, in the, uh, 666 being a, uh, an unholy, uh, uh, you know, false counterfeit of God, that sort of thing. And, uh, you've got the beast, you've got the false prophet, and then you got being, then you got miracles being done by demons, which is like a false Holy Spirit type thing. All right. Okay. Isn't that an interesting chapter? <laughs> All right, chapter 14 now. says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having the Father's name written on their foreheads. You remember the 144,000 that were sealed back earlier, and uh, they were sealed right here. 144,000 Jewish witnesses were sealed right at seal 6, you know. And they are here for the whole time. And so this actually here is at the end of the reign of Antichrist. And what's happened now is, um, uh, if, you, if you remember back at Revelation eleven fifteen, which is where we kind of started getting into this parenthetical, the seventh angel had sounded, the seventh trumpet had sounded. Okay, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we're actually picking it back up here after a description of Antichrist's kingdom in chapter 14. And when that trumpet blows, this is really what's beginning to happen. Okay, I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. So here's Jesus. He's touched down. Okay, he's, he's actually standing on Mount Zion at this point. And um, with him, 144,000. This is those that were sealed, the Jews that were sealed you know, at the, at the, uh, after you and I were raptured. And then it, it describes some things here. I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder, man, they're worshiping like crazy. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne. This is, this is actually, you can hear this from heaven. This is the 144,000 are on Mount Zion, but heaven literally opens and they're hearing this. Okay. 
And then verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Uh, some people feel the 144,000 were literal virgins. I feel it has, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably more likely a uh, spiritual picture that they weren't defiled with um, you know, sin and, and the whole kingdom of Antichrist and all that. These, the reason I say that is because of the next part here. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. In other words, the 144,000 Jews surrendered their life to Christ. And these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So this is the beginning here of God saving Israel. This is the beginning of the restoration of Israel where Jesus touches down on Mount Zion. The 144,000 are gathered together with him there. And, um, you know, he's, he's talking to them. And they're the first fruits. This is the beginning. You know, the whole nation of Israel has not been restored yet, but this is the beginning. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's happened at the end of the uh, kingdom, you know, of, uh, after the end of it, the Antichrist kingdom at the end of chapter 13, we get a glimpse of what happens when that seventh trumpet has been blown. All right, then we get three angels. And again, it's, these are describing things that are happening during this time, okay, of the reign of Antichrist and this whole thing in Daniel's 70th week. And uh, beginning in verse 6, we read about three angels. And I actually believe this backs up in time a little bit. And, uh, and you know, again, we're, we're, we're being given details of what's happening. And I love verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Remember the trumpets. Where did it, where, when did His judgment start? Well, His judgment started, you know, uh, right uh, here, you know, at the rapture. Okay? And so... Uh, you know, that's when the day of the Lord has, has come. And so this is backed up in time just a little bit. But isn't it interesting that God so cares about people, okay, that in the very end times here, he's sending an angel to fly through heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach. Now, right now, it's yours and my job to preach the gospel. And it's still our job to preach the gospel, you know, in the end times and even under the kingdom of Antichrist. But God cares enough about people that he's adding like an added dimension here. He's sending this angel to fly through heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach. And uh, you could sort of say it's kind of like their last chance. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. Circle that again. Circle the word worship. It's all about worship. Who are you going to worship in your life? Who or what are you going to honor? You know, and... Um, so it's all about, you know, who our heart is committed to. All right, then verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen. We're going to talk more about that in Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is a type of actually, number one, the world system, but also we're going to see there's a false religious system, of course, related to the, not, not the same as, but related to the kingdom of Antichrist. And we'll see more of that in chapter 17 and 18. Uh, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know, it's amazing how in spiritual things God treats it as loyalty. God treats it as faithfulness, you know. We know, you know, 
sexual sin is what breaks down a marriage. Well, God applies that spiritually. You know, whenever there's people that are untrue to God spiritually, it's considered, it's called spiritual fornication, you know, because it's, it's a, and it breaks the relationship with God. So that's, that's a very common spiritual terminology that's used. And uh, then a third angel followed them with a loud voice. And this is, a, this is kind of like a last warning. And I believe this is happening. Like I said, it's, it, these are kind of backed up here a little bit. Again, describing some of the things that are happening during the reign of Antichrist. This third angel follows them with a loud voice saying, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength. In other words, this is, we're not monkeying around anymore. This is it. This is the end of the show. Three angels flying through heaven. I believe they're going to be flying all over the earth. People are going to see it. Can you imagine what this time is going to be like? I mean, we got two witnesses calling down fire. We got a false prophet. He's trying to do the same thing. We got idols that are talking. We got people being murdered through those idols. And we got three angels flying through heaven. I mean, this is going to be a very interesting time. (laughs) And not only that, but how many of you know the church is going to have the anointing of God to preach and heal and touch people? Amen. That are open. The Bible says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. Later on in Revelation, it says the wife of the lamb has made herself ready. So we're full of beauty, full of the power of God. But anyway, so, uh, man, it's, you know, wild time here. And uh, then at the end of verse 10, this ought to wake up anybody. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Again, repeats it. Here's the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, these angels are like, I mean, they're just not holding anything back. They're telling it exactly like it is. They're saying, turn or burn, cry or fry. You know, come on, this is your last chance. If you don't turn to God and you insist on worshiping the beast and you're going to be deceived by the devil, this is what's going to happen to you. I mean, it's like kind of what I said in the first couple classes, you know, I mean, Sin ultimately has to be dealt with. We live in an age of grace and God's love is there to to save people now. But somehow people get in their mind that God's not going to do anything about sin. No, he he hates sin. It's sin that's caused all the hurt and the heartache in the world today. You know, so ultimately God's going to put an end to it. And here's what he's doing. And he's sending after we're done, we're, we're preaching, you know, we'll still be preaching. But he sends these three angels saying, man, this is your last chance. You need to listen. And so anyway, um, and then we are encouraged again in verse 12 to persevere and keep the commandments of God. Verse 13, then I heard heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Or in other words... We've already talked about this, but during this time, some Christians will be, be martyred. And the Lord said, you're blessed if you are. You're blessed. God will be with you. How many of you know when you just walk with God, there will always be grace for when you need grace? You know, so don't be afraid. But you'll be blessed, you know. And then, yes, says the Spirit. I love this part. This is so good. That they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. 
Now listen to me. How many of you believe this is the day where Christians need to be about the Father's business? We need to be doing what God calls us to do. You know? So ask God. Say, Lord, what's my ministry? What's my call? What am I supposed to be doing? Where do I fit in the body of Christ? Where do I fit in your kingdom? You know? And it says we'll rest from our labors and their works follow them. So literally everything you do in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to follow you. You're going to get rewarded for it. You're going to get blessed for it, you know. So I tell you what, just good, good investing, you know. Hey, if you're just a good stockbroker, you know, how many of you know it pays to invest for eternity because it's going to last a long time. <laughs> so let's not get too hung up, you know, on the things of this world. Uh, John Bevere has a new series out called Driven by Eternity. It's excellent, you know, because we've got to think of our life in terms of eternity. And, uh, you know, now's the time to be uh, working for the Lord and laboring. The time will come when we can rest from our labors, but that is not the time now. Now we need to be doing everything we can for Christ to make a difference in our world. We'll always be that kind of church. All right, praise God. Now it shifts gears here in verse 14, and we get another spiritual picture of what's going on. And this is kind of what's at. This is a, this is a wild picture. All right, then I looked and behold a, a white cloud And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. He's probably bringing like a word from the Father here. Thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. This is a picture, spiritual picture here, uh, just a prophetic picture of God gathering to himself all the believers. Remember, he would separate the what? Wheat from the tares, okay? And he said he'd gather his wheat into his barn. So this is a picture of Jesus gathering together, you know, all those that are his. Now it switches gears here. Watch this. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. Also, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And what were, you know, this is like grapes of wrath here. And we have a picture here. This is the judgment gathering. And and notice it says fully ripe. God never ends everything till it's fully ripe. He gives people lots of chances, lots of time. But when sin has fully ripened, there was even one place in the Old Testament where the Lord didn't let Israel go in and destroy a country because the Lord said their cup of iniquity wasn't full. You know, they still had a little chance. Every time God sent them in to destroy a place, it was because the cup of iniquity was full. But in this particular situation, the grapes are ripe. So, you know, we're dealing with, with uh, sin that's not changing here. And verse 19, so that now, now watch this. this. And again, these are all in these interludes here. These are prophetic pictures of things that are happening during this time. This, what we're going to see right here, is prophetic of the battle of Armageddon that's coming up in a couple of chapters. But listen to this. This is just, it's almost a mind blower. Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, probably referring to Jerusalem there, outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles. That's four to five feet high. 
for 1,600 furlongs. It's roughly 200 miles. I mean, what we're talking about, folks, here is a river of blood. Now, whether it's literally four feet high or some people, and this may even be more accurate, but when you trample the wine press, it splatters everywhere. And so maybe it, whether it's splattered up to a height of four or five feet, you're still talking about a 200-mile-long river of blood. And there's lots of valleys outside Jerusalem, you know, and, and ravines. And so what this is a picture, and we'll see it a little bit later in the next couple of weeks, but at the Battle of Armageddon where, where, the, where the beast and the false prophet and the armies of the earth and, and out of the beast and the false prophet literally come demon frogs out to gather the armies of the earth and they all gather together against Jesus at Jerusalem. And guess what? They lose! <laughs> and the blood is trampled four to five feet deep, 200 miles long. It's like, you know... Do you guys see that movie with uh, Will Smith, The Bug? <laughs> the Bug, what was that movie? I forget that movie where the, uh, it was an alien bug, you know, and they squashed the bug. Men in Black, yeah. Well, that's really, folks, what happens here. The bugs get squashed. I mean, that's really what you've got here at the end. You've got nothing but raw evil, you know, and... Um, uh, I'm sure God didn't, didn't want to have to do it, but he does. You know, He tramples the wine. Pr- I mean, this is about as gross or gruesome a picture as you can get of the judgment of God. But, hey, it's right there in the Bible. You know? And so at the very end of Daniel's 70th week, when the armies of the earth are gathered together, and actually, of course, we know the whole, we'll, we'll get there in chapter 19 where Jesus is coming riding out of heaven on a white horse. <laughs> But he wins. Are you glad you're on the winning side? (laughs) You know, Jesus wins. And so the the armies of Antichrist are literally splattered across the valley is really what it's all about. And so it's just a spiritual picture. This is an interlude picture just to to give you another picture uh, to help uh, help us understand really what is happening, you know, during this time. And uh, it's a picture of grapes of wrath, you know. That, that God is going to tread the winepress of his wrath and he is going to put an ultimate end to evil, you know. And it's not like he hasn't given mankind a chance to repent. They just got through here and three angels flying through heaven telling them what's going to happen, you know. It's not like, I mean, God goes beyond, above and beyond. But when the, when the ball comes to the end and when it's all said and done, you know, um, then it just... I guess the simplest way you could say it, he just squashes everything, you know. He, he puts an end to it, all right? So pretty, pretty gross picture. But, uh, and, you know, I'll be honest with you. Some commentators have tried to totally spiritualize these things away and give it all spiritual meanings. Uh-uh, you can't do that. You can't do that because when you take a look at Daniel's 70th week, everything was fulfilled literally. And it's hard for us to get our head around this because we don't understand how terrible sin is to God. But... He considers it very terrible. And so uh, the armies will be totally and literally just squashed and wiped out. All right, chapter 15, I'm going to have to kind of wrap it up here. But chapter 15 is a picture of uh, just all of a sudden we see heaven again open. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. Remember, the, the seventh trumpet had already blown. Okay, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And so after the seventh trumpet, you know, 
we're looking at there's there's another final set of judgments that's going to come upon the earth it's called the bowls and uh, it says the seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the wrath of god is complete so at the end of the bowls okay the judgment is over verse 2 i saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast over his image and over his mark you know, now, what would be the point in, in, in glorifying people having the victory over the beast if it was just only, you know, if it was just only the Johnny-come-latelys that got that? No. The whole church is going to stand in victory, you know. So, is many, so are many in Israel. And uh, over the number, and I, I can show you this. Watch this. Standing on the sea, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and... The song of the Lamb. So what do we finally have here beginning to happen in heaven? We have the church and Israel together. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. So God's beginning to bring together the whole picture here, you know. And uh, so they're singing this awesome song. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. You know, in other words, God's judgment on sin is just, you know. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And then it starts talking about getting ready to pour out the bowls. But I just want to show you one verse in chapter 15. Look at verse 8. It says, uh, well, verse 7 says, Then one of the four angels, four living creatures, came, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. This is the final judgment. But look at verse 8. This is really cool. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. You know what I think What's happening there? And you know why God won't let anybody enter? Is I think because He's sad. He's sad. He didn't want to have to do this. He didn't want to have to see anybody destroyed. But the bottom line is this. I don't think you or I or anybody wants a heaven polluted by sin or to see a repeat of what the whole mess we've gone through on planet Earth. Can you say amen to that? So God doesn't want to have to judge, but the bottom line is sin is terrible. Rebellion. I mean, God can't help it if he's right. <laughs> he's just right. He's got the best. He does. But, you know, you couldn't have love if you didn't have free will. So you'd have just a robot. You wouldn't have anything enjoyable. You know, to have, have love, you have to have free will. Free will brings the constitution of you can have rebellion. But it's not like God didn't give him a chance to repent. You know, the gospel preached for years. Angels flying through heaven. So uh, I don't think God's happy about having to do judgment. He doesn't get off on it. He, he's not on an ego trip. Not on a pride. He's not, trying, he's, not, he's not getting a kick out of his own power. He knows what he can do. He, doesn't, he didn't want to have to destroy all these people. But ultimately, he knew. He had to because he had to put an end to evil. Gave everybody a chance. Those that chose God, hey, going to go on forever. Amen? All right. So then actually chapter 16, um, I'm not even going to, because I, I need to wrap this up. And if I don't, if I don't s at least tell myself I finished chapter 16, then I got too much to do in the next two weeks. But, but basically chapter 16 is a picture of the bowls being poured out upon the earth. And, of course, it's just very... Uh, gruesome, very terrible, you know. Uh, look at bowl 1 in chapter 2. Uh, I mean, look at in verse 2 of chapter 16, sores 
came upon people. It's just judgments upon sin is what's happening. And it goes all the way through there. And in verse 7, there's kind of a little interlude. It says, I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So God is righteous in judging sin. We can't ever accuse him of being mean. Sin is sin. It has to be dealt with. Has to be, has to be judged. They had plenty of time, had plenty of chances. God has to. He has to judge it. He has to purge it. He has to get rid of it or his eternal glorious kingdom with peace, love, and joy cannot go on. So he judges it, true and righteous, and all this stuff is being poured out here. And then finally, this is where, and and I think I will pick this up next time, uh, verse 12, the sixth angel, the sixth bull, poured out his bull on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Then a little interlude. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Just again, an exhortation to be ready. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And then the seventh angel pours out his bowl and there's hail that begins to fall. Verse 21, a great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. That's about 100 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had 100-pound hailstones falling on my head, I'd repent. <laughs> but see, it's just like people have made their choices, you know. I mean, by this time, I, I, I think probably there's not anybody left that hasn't either gotten saved, you know, or chosen the way of antichrist i mean maybe there's maybe there's a straggler <laughs> i would think you know maybe the hailstones are to get the stragglers <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway it's just pretty you know awesome judgment and so that's a that's a, a picture of the bowls and um then we're going to switch gears in verses 17 and 18 i mean chapter 17 and 18 we're talking about mystery babylon next time and what what that is all about so what's happening right now is is we're getting pictures of of what's happening during this time and then when we get to chapter 19 we get into the final coming of the lord where he comes back on his white horse and and it'll pick up this battle of armageddon and then basically it'll all be over (laughs) pretty wild ride huh (laughs) all right well I need to probably wrap this up. Anybody have any, I'll take maybe one or two quick questions before we go. Anybody have any quick questions on tonight? Don't forget, we will be having a final session, week nine. You can come if you want to. You don't have to. It's all totally up to you. Of nothing but question and answer. If it lasts 10 minutes, we'll be 10 minutes. If it lasts, well, we won't go any longer than about an hour. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but I'll, I'll reserve that week nine for nothing but questions. So if, if you have some things that are stirring up inside you and you want to ask, you can. Yeah, Dee? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, it, it invo- an idol is something you worship, okay? And and I would say this: it's, I don't think it's wrong to have pictures of Jesus. I don't think it's wrong to have statues of Jesus or anything like that. But here's what you got to remember: there's no power in that whatsoever, and you should not ever look to that as anything with power, okay? So. It's, idols are things that you start attaching significance to. For instance, I'll be honest with you. 
don't buy a St. Joseph statue and bury it in your yard to sell your house. You're attaching power to that thing and you're asking for trouble. Yeah, your house might sell, but I wouldn't want to say whose power sold it or what it'll cost you later. <laughs> I mean, don't mess around with idols. Don't mess around with statues. And uh, I'll have more to say about that next week in Revelation 17 and 18 because the whole thing of Mystery Babylon is a very interesting thing. You know, but um, idolatry is a serious thing. You know, and so... Uh, you know, some people, like, you know, they hang crosses on their rearview mirrors. It's fine. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to remind yourself that God is watching over when you, when you drive, that's fine, you know. But I just want to tell you right now, it's not going to be that wooden cross that's going to somehow help you drive better <laughs> or protect you, you know. And, you know, you know the old Dracula movies where they hold up the wooden cross, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just Hollywood <laughs> is all that is, you know. It's, it's, there's no power in a, in a wooden cross. Yeah, Nate. Uh, we were working at Barclays and the landlady. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, I was thinking that one of the barcodes wouldn't work. Yeah. But I heard at that time that... Are you still recording? Okay, all right, go ahead. But I heard at that time that each one of those barcodes contains the... uh, number 666 and i just never attached anything to it uh you know have you heard anything like that um no i haven't i haven't heard anything about that you know it's uh um that whole verse there where it talks about uh, the number of his name and the number of a man and, and it actually uses the phrase calculate so i mean out of that a lot of people have come up with a lot of different things and, and i to be honest i haven't spent a lot of personal study time on that you know so there could be there could be things to that, you know, but I just it's not an area where I've really, really, really studied, you know, and uh, it could be something like what I was saying earlier, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord and we get closer to all this stuff happening, a few of these details in here that maybe don't we can't maybe not sure exactly what they might mean, they might become clear. For instance, in the first coming where the, the prophet said, out of Egypt, I've called my son. Well, how would you ever figure that out? But we do know that because of the persecution of Rome, you know, that Mary and Joseph went to Egypt. Well, out of Egypt, I've called my son. So it made sense once you're in the, as you're closer to it, you know. Yeah, Marianne. The bear, um, the teachings that the bear represents Russia, the lion represents England, and I'm not sure what the tiger or leopard was. And is, the, is, is there some kind of significance about these symbols of nations and they come against Israel? Um, those are primarily from Daniel's prophecy. I think when you get into the book of Reve- Revelation, the, the use of the bear and the lion and the leopard, they, they, they tie the whole kingdom of Antichrist into Gentile power kingdoms. There's no question kingdom of Antichrist will be a Gentile power kingdom. You know, in fact, and it will persecute Christians and Jews. And the kingdom of Antichrist is the last. In other words, in Daniel's prophecy where the stone cut out without hands, which is a picture of Christ and his kingdom, hits the statue in the feet. The statue falls over. Obviously, with the destruction of Antichrist's kingdom, that is the end of evil Gentile power forever in the world. And the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. So... In Daniel's prophecy, some of those beasts had things like Greece, Medo-Persia, 
Um, some people have attached the lion to England. I, I've never made that connection, to be honest. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, don't, I think in the book of Revelation, it's, it's, it's just a picture of the fact that, they are, that the Antichrist kingdom is coming out of the Gentile kingdoms. So uh, it's, I think the ten toes and the ten kings have more significance than, the, than the, the bear and the leopard. I think those are pictures of spiritual qualities. More like I said, speed, power, and, and um, loud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hardcore Christians living hardcore that um, if Iran winds up developing um, nuclear weapon capability, that will make 10 nations that have nuclear capability. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, the only thing I know for sure is that those 10 nations have to be from the European area because that you know it, it's described as a picture of the revived Roman Empire. So um, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I'm not saying there won't be some other nations that might join in with them, but the picture there of the ten toes, I think pretty well is, is it's going to be a European-centered area, you know. Now, the whole thing you're talking about with nuclear power, how that could enter into the whole picture of Antichrist coming to power, it's hard to say. You know, it's really hard to say whether some of that could have, have an impact in terms of affecting things militarily in the days ahead. I do know with the rise of Islam... The rise of terrorism, the rise of nuclear power. We, we definitely have a very unstable stage that is set for some who knows what to happen, you know. And I think some of those things are things that maybe even come a little bit clearer as we get, as we get closer. So, all right. Hey, we've been here a long time, so I'm going to let you get out of here. And uh, we'll uh, we only got two more weeks to go, and we'll wrap it up. And... Uh, I think you're getting the main gist of it, though. It's good that we be living for the Lord and be ready. Amen? <laughs> okay, God bless you. You guys have a great evening. See you later.